Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Hugo Macedo, the VP community at Enbabel. Hugo, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. It's always a pleasure. And it's great because for the ones who want to know more, uh, you have moderated some of the panels on Scaling Up Marketing in the past at Scaling Up Valley podcast. And it's a pleasure to have your, our first one-on-one uh, interview. So we will dissect all your hard learned lessons across this Scale Up journey with, uh, with Unbabble. But for the audience to get to know more about you, uh, yeah, let us know more who is Hugo Macedo and uh, what is Unbabble. Okay, so my name is Ugo Macedo. I'm currently VP of Community at Babel. Um, just to have a context, Babel is an AI plus human platform, translation platform that uh, delivers human quality translation at scale. Um, our main use case is um, enabling uh, global companies to provide uh, scalable, very efficient and agile customer support across languages. Uh, without relying on on native agents um, and we use a combination of ai and humans and that's where i come in i am now focused on the human part so i manage what we call the community which is our crowd of, of translators across the world um, and provide them of course the the, the means to to help uh, us deliver that uh, scalable translations and i'm in battle for almost six years now i've played several roles including vp of marketing uh for three years uh, before this. Um, yeah, I'm married, two kids. I've, uh, before I had experience, several experience in startups, uh, multinationals, consulting, so quite diverse experience. Absolutely, and I love it. And usually I reach out to you when I have questions <laughs> because given your amazing uh, background, I can always pick one of your skills and uh, use it on okay. my favor or of the community uh, itself. So I really appreciate uh, all your time. So let's pick your marketing uh, at for, for a while to see something that we, uh, what we are seeing in a lot of uh, brands worldwide. So it's becoming, uh, there is too much noise outside and it's uh, each time more difficult to really have a strong positioning statement, a strong differentiation. And we are seeing for the first time brands thinking more long-term and investing on building their brands, not only the corporate brand, but also personal brands, um, product brands, event brands. And so, but all about creating a philosophy, almost a religion around the brand. And that's a process of this category building, branding building, and also related with personal branding. And we see as good examples for as Mark Benioff and Salesforce, David Kensel and David Gerard that, that now is not a drift um, anymore. It's a private, if I'm not wrong. And so we, we see some combinations of CMOs working with CEOs to build their own brands. We also see SVPs of sales and, and other VPs working a lot on their own personal brands. Um, so you have been working really hard to position uh, and bubble uh, in a very differentiated way. So what are your art learned lessons that you can share with the community? Yeah, I think the big shift is on the what, what we usually call B2B uh, business. Um, and, and it's actually taking some of uh, what most B2C brands already do for a long time is this brand building. It is, is acknowledging that uh, people uh, don't 
take rational decisions. I mean, they take emotional decisions or a big part is emotional. Even in, in, in situations that are B2B, so involving uh, a lot of features, a lot of value to the business and so on, but there's always an emotional part. And that emotional part also relates to, the, to one thing that's very important in B2B, which is trust, right? So, uh, because in a way, when I'm choosing a supplier, I'm also betting uh, my reputation within my company, um, my objectives. There's a, so there's a lot, of, a lot at stake much more than uh, individual decisions. So trust is very important. And trust, trust is built on, on connection, right? So mm -hmm. trust, I believe it, it, it's, it's based on uh, connecting and connecting with people. So, um, so that's why it's important behind the brand, not, not only developing a brand that has an emotional, has a meaning, has, has uh, I, I can connect at different level, but also all these people that you refer, that I know who's behind that brand, right? Uh, from the account executive to the CEO, uh, the more connection I have with right. those people, the more I can trust uh, and the more I can relate because I, I, I feel connected to them. So it almost has, ideally, is that the customer almost wants to work with us. And I'm so excited with what right. you're doing that I want to work with you because I want to be in that journey that you, because you're, you're talking about changing the world and I want to be there. So if you can create this relationship, uh, I think that opens all the doors to, to talk business, right? Um, and so is, is this acknowledging that before we talk business, we create a relationship, right? Uh, and I think more and more B2B business right. are, are acknowledging that and, and putting their efforts uh, both on the, on the brand side and on the people side. Absolutely. This, there is a, also an interesting trend uh, going a little bit out of script here um, on B2C and B2B podcasts. So typically B2C podcasts, we look for uh, traffic metrics, the amount of people and B2B podcast is much more about, again, the quality of the content, the quality of the relationships, the quality of the community. So it's not about the number, uh, but about big numbers, but it's about the quality of that specific community and this closer the better because the relationships would be stronger and the results that everyone will extract from that relationships which uh, and give and, and, and get back will be um, higher. So everyone has this sense of belonging that we are not just another number, right? In, in, yeah, in the community. That, that's, that's also very important in B2B. It's not a popularity game in terms of, it's not about quantity of how many people in general, uh, hear your podcast or read your blog uh, or consumer content is really, oh, the people that you're focusing on, your target audience, that's the focus. And that can be very, very narrow if you're selling, I don't know, cybersecurity systems, right? You want to talk about two right. cybersecurity people, right? Not, you can have other interests, but uh, people interested. But so, that's very important in the sense that um, don't, don't get distracted with uh, uh, what we usually call the vanity metrics, right? Uh, get uh, focused on building those conversations with the right people. Absolutely. That's a, a very, good, very good insight. So don't look to vanity, metri vanity metrics, look to building those Actually, uh, conversations I, I and I... relationships. I did an exercise, um, uh, we were talking about awareness and actually I, I went to, um, to Crunchbase and actually filtered companies that were similar size, but similar stage 
and um, by by the crunch rating and then took the top 10. And actually I asked around who knew these companies? No one knew that companies, right? B2B companies because <laughs> they're, looks, they're doing amazing, but no one knows them because we are not their target because they are focused on that political segment. And, and if they're doing a good job, they're focusing their dollars, their, their plans on getting those, uh, those people. So it, it's, it's okay that we out of target don't know them, although they are doing an amazing job. So the way you measure awareness, it, it, it's important. Uh, it, it's important. Yeah, there is a, a lot of noise and going again out of script here about account-based marketing. So having extremely focus in a, a and you are smiling because we've been discussing this a lot yeah. in the past. So what, what's your take? I've never heard about your take. I've heard about a lot of guests that we had, uh, that we have been in touch with, but I've never got your, your opinion there. So it's like mixed feelings. In a way, like marketing people and people that design marketing systems and all this are good at marketing, right? So they, they love to create these new, shiny new things, right? If you go to the to, to <laughs> deep principles of ABM, it's really nothing new, right? Uh, it, it, so it's just shuffling things around. It, it, we're still talking about uh, making sure you're very focused, uh, making sure uh, you, you, your plans uh, are very directed to the customers you want to reach, right? And there's, yes, there's this um, ideal scenario that you do a marketing plan for one customer, right? But how much scalable that is? Uh, is it automating messages? And uh, so you create different messages for each customer, a way to go, is that authentic? So there, there's a, a lot of balance uh, mm -hmm. here. I think in, in, I've seen several ways and several implementations that are not very good, like can be a good excuse to do uh, outbound, uh, um, outbound outreach uh, to these companies and do a lot of spam. Oh, we're focused on these companies, so we're going to spam everyone in that company. Um, or can be a good platform to work with sales actually align plans we should be always have been like that right so we don't need to say we're doing abm to align plans with sales marketing and sales right that should be natural mm -hmm. so right there's a lot to it's not it's, it's not <laughs> rocket science and it's not the panacea right Exactly, exactly. And this is a very good point to introduce uh, the, the next topic. And this is a topic that I'm really passionate about. And I challenged you to, to talk about this, which is, uh, I had a lot of CEOs that I've been working with and also here on the show and other leaders in the different areas, especially on, on the revenue, uh, the revenue leaders, uh, where we were talking that getting from zero to 1 million ARR is really, really difficult, right? It's the starting up stage. Getting from one to five, if you are doing things right, you start having some traction, you start having a certain repeatability and, and you can get there in a freestyle mode, almost with a founding team with the first seats on the, on the leadership team. But then from five to 10, or for, 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 for some companies, maybe a little, a little bit later, from 10 to 20 million uh, ARR, if you don't have the, the so-called revenue machine or the 
retention and growth machine in place and the right people on the right seats on the revenue seats and saying marketing sales product and cs and you start approaching the problem of scale as a problem of blaming and finger pointing saying that we are not getting to the results because the marketing guys are not doing their job because the sales guys are not doing their job no it's because products is a mess no it's because cs doesn't know doesn't have the playbook to upsell those accounts because we already have the, an, enough customer base to get to 10 million to get to 20 million error so you have been there, there done that so what what are your comments on this problem that we see a lot also in the SaaS napkin uh, in um, of Christoph Jens of point nine capital where we see those metrics that we need to push even and the growth machine the right leadership team the right revenue seats are repeated again and again and again so long long question uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's the, the real deal, right, is, is how you scale. And, and scale means um, how do you create repeatable processes and how do you ensure that. So I think what happens at, this, at that stage is that you start having middle management, right? You start having more people. So you, you need to have processes and you need to have um, a clear responsibilities and, and accountability around the business. So you no longer go there because of your amazing intuition, right? Intuition is not enough anymore. Um, so I think in the beginning, because you have a, especially we, we know about the success stories, they're amazing people, great intuition, great contacts, they uh, great at doing product or marketing. So you have this founding team or, or initial team that is very strong and can cross the, those first hurdles. I think that the big hurdle is, can they recruit and, and replicate that? Can they create the right management uh, layer to continue to execute that? Can they um, really uh, create the, the processes that make it repeatable? And then also has the teams go bigger, the marketing team, the sales team, the CS, and all of that, that you start, you need to do handovers and, and you no longer as a manager or as a VP, control the handovers and the handovers is where the friction point comes right and you you see several uh symptoms either the blaming like you're saying oh this is not a good lead or this was not properly qualified or this was not the expectations of the customer were not great all this blaming or also you i've seen also uh symptoms of rework is that oh i'm going to qualify again the customer because actually yes sales qualified but i need to qualify again right so i'm going to do the same questions or even in more questions to re-qualify the, the customer the deal so it's like because that happens because i don't trust the work they did right i don't trust their qualification so i'm i'm, I'm covering my job and my responsibility by qualifying again and this creates a lot of inefficiency right and, and um and, and friction so all this friction is is really what what what's, um, breaks the 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 escape velocity right uh, is is all the frictions that we accumulate so it's kind of you know technical guys talk about technical debt right when your code is not able to to code and uh, to, to grow to scale etc there's a, a lot of process debt that we, we we create as we grow right um, and, and we need to so. I think the challenge is how can we take care of this, right? How can we ensure that we balance execution with taking care of the, the process step 
and the responsibilities and accountability across the, the, the business. Um, what, what, one thing that, uh, that I've seen in several companies, we also did at, at Embevel, is, is actually to have a team, um, it's called BizOps usually, uh, and it's been happening in several uh, scale-ups. And this team, the BizOps is kind of a, see it has an internal consultant. They help the teams to improve process and to get the right metrics in the, in, in the right way to, to measure uh, performance and to identify uh, improvement opportunities. And why do you need that? Because what I see is that the teams, when you're really growing fast, the teams are so focused on, on, on the day-to-day -day delivery, right? They have no time or space to step back and see what's wrong and to analyze and really figure out, okay, there's a better way to do this. So sometimes it's better to have someone uh, that comes in and helps the manager, look, I, I've, I've analyzed the process, I've analyzed different friction points, and I think we can do better. And then they uh, together decide on how to improve the process. Or really, when there's a handover, which is the typical case, really get the perspective of the two teams or, or, uh, involved and really uh, help them to, to work better. So sometimes it's, it's a good way to make sure you, you, you keep improving uh, as you grow. But definitely a challenge, definitely a challenge. <laughs> love it. And I love the way you, you talked about the requalification process and about trust. So, and it makes me think about the famous, uh, the five dysfunctions of the team book of Patrick uh, Lencioni. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all about that. So building the right teams for each stage of growth. And I think that's sometimes because we are so, so, so busy, as you said, and that's why BizOps, for instance, it's, it's really important, can be very helpful. We forget that having the right people on the right seats and building high-performing teams, amazing culture, uh, is what, uh, what makes people stay together and teams stay together uh, during uh, chaos. And, and a scale-up is, is a constant chaos, right? Everything is changing, everything is broken at least every single uh, 13 weeks. So every 13 weeks, it's kind of uh, two or three years in a normal company because we are trying to double every single year. And uh, yeah, this, this completely uh, is... Yeah, you, uh, we usually say we, we run into doggy years, you know, the, the time seven <laughs> uh, uh, multiplication. So every exactly. month is seven months, every, every uh, two months is 14 months. Um, so definitely, I mean, people, it's all about people, right? Uh, and that's a cliche, but very, very true. I think the challenge for a scale-up is, is the rate of growth and the, uh, the, the rate of needing to hire more people to cope with that growth means that you can slip into uh, um, going to, to hire uh, too fast and make, make more hiring mistakes um, and accumulate that, right? Just because we need a body, we need someone to do this, we need help. Um, and at the same time, um, or you get the person to do some kind of process that you didn't have time to automate because, oh, the developers are all uh, um, booked and we have no way to, to optimize this process, so we'll just hire someone to do this. And, you do this, this, and this uh, again and again, and again, it's, it's like the problem of the short term, you need to deliver versus the long term, you need to build a great team, right? Exactly. And that's the, 
that's the balance and that's the the difficult part that you need to deliver today this month this quarter but everything you'll do today and this quarter will also impact the future and in people more even so right so the quality of the hiring is really challenging um so i think that's one of the reasons also that is hard to scale is is how can you hire that fast that good is like you have two different uh, axes. One is quantity, was another is quality, uh, and it's very hard to to really maximize the the quality and quantity. Yeah, and there is something very interesting there, and kind of a paradox, which is if we have that growth machine or that revenue machine or retention machine, we should not need superheroes. Um, to, to make the machine to work. So if we are relying and dependent on superheroes, it seems that the machine is not working. And if only a salesman that is there or a saleswoman or a salesperson is there for the last seven years can sell the product and can sell the contract, something is broken uh, in, in the machine. Or even only of the two of the five account executives are achieving quota. Um, so, but at the same time, as we were saying, it's all about having the right people in the right quantity and quality and these kind of companies are playing the Olympic games of business as I like to call it and if we don't have the best Olympic players uh, and the best Olympic teams it would be very difficult to get the Olympic trophy definitely I, I think there's a combination of, of two things is really you need the repeatable process um, but that repeatable process also needs to be iterated as you grow right because your challenge is going to change uh, in exactly. six months is one year. Um, so, but that change, it doesn't justify that you don't have uh, a process, um, a process to do things now, right? That are, e that is easier to hire a new salesperson, get it onboarded, ramped up quite quickly and make her, uh, or him productive, uh, very quickly, right? Or in other, uh, function. So it's really a combination of, um, of you need good people because you really need to be amazing at every function, right? And, and delivering um, your your product and your promises. Uh, and you need the right, the great people also to understand when we need to change, when we need to, how can we improve, right? Uh, what is the market uh, saying that we should change or uh, what we should change in technology and all of that. So there's this combination of repeatability but also improvements, continuous improvement. Right, absolutely. And there is something very interesting that we also discussed several times in our conversations, which is, um, it is if we want to keep doubling every single year, we need to be working already this year or the year before on the growth of the year after. If not, it'd be too late if we, in the second half of 2020, we start thinking about the growth of 2021 and doubling, especially at, at your size at this stage at Nbabo, a uh, uh, much more mid-late stage uh, company, uh, it would be too late. So if we don't have the systems and the machine in place to get to the next layer, the next threshold of revenue, it would be almost impossible. But it is also very complex because it, in hypergrowth to think about short, mid and long term. And sometimes there is this bullshit that we start talking ourselves that it's all about execution. Uh, but yes, it's all about execution on the right direction. So it's execution with strategy, not only execution or only strategy, which is typically the discussion that we have. So one with another and one feeds another. What is your take on that? 
I would say that um, execution is key, right? Especially if you're going to high speed, just imagine you're in a car at high speed, everything needs to work because if not, you will just derail and, and crash, right? Um, execution is key. So I would say that most of your company is focused on execution, selling the product, the, the message, the promise, and delivering, implementing on that, right? Then you need some some part of your company that actually it's 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 imagining the future, right? It's getting the inputs from the market, from the current machine, right? Well, and imagining what, where are we going next, right? What makes sense? What's the path after this, right? Is if you think about like the typical three horizons. Um, popularized by McKinsey, the three horizons uh, scenarios is, yes, you have 80% of the people focus on horizon one, right? Um, and in a scale up, probably it's one year, let's say, um, is maximize the execution of the current product, current market, uh, uh, and technology. And then you need to have um, a layer, maybe the 20% that is on horizon two, and then you'll have the visionary CEO is already on Horizon 3, but, uh, <laughs> or, or at least is pitching that when we creates like the, the, the big hairy goal of conquering the world, Horizon 3, right? But you need some people on Horizon 2 and, oh, what's the next product? What's the next market? What's the, 